Sal Berry. RC or not RC? That is the question. And Tim Parrish. Because really, if it's not a base card, it's not a rookie card, in my opinion. This is like the Super Double Gulp of podcasts. The Super Double Gulp. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Barry and with me is Tim Parrish. And today we are going to talk about hockey and about hockey cards because that's what we do. Tim, what's going on? Um, I don't know. You tell me what's going on. We're here, well, we're live, and we're in Memorex. We're Memorex. Yeah, we're not so live. We're definitely Memorex or whatever... Uh, Whatever the cheaper tapes were, I couldn't afford those those three ninety nine cassette tapes at Jewel Osco. I had to buy the step down because that was what I could afford. The white packaging with black lettering that just said cassette. Yeah, something like that. I remember buying some at the dollar store when I was a kid that were like three for a dollar. They were horrible quality. They were about what you'd imagine three for a dollar uh, audio quality cassette tapes would sound like. Nice. But I was recording the radio with them, so I didn't really care about quality. It was just like... What else would you record? That's what, well, that's what all of us recorded was the radio. No, because no, because we also used to make mixtapes. And when you make mixtapes, you wanted it to sound a little bit better, right? Oh, you wanted care. to have a slightly higher quality for that. My, my mixtapes were recordings of the radio. So mm. I'd, I'd find whichever tape had the song that I recorded and then switch them out and all that. No, nah, my mixtapes are like a mix of CD and cassette tapes that I had dubbed together to, to make my mixtapes. So actually, I do want to mention, though, speaking of the early 90s um, and, and making mixtapes and stuff, I was a guest on another podcast, and it was super fun. It's called the 21st Century Boys, a Crawford comic cast. And this is by our friend and Twitter follower, Joe Crawford who has a comic book podcast. He usually does it with his son, who's 14. The two of them will talk about new comic books that came out and stuff like that. But for this particular episode, it was just me and Joe, because he wanted to talk about Image Comics. And I just said, hey, you know, I worked in a comic shop in the early 90s, right when Image Comics was coming out. And comic books became like a really big deal, like right before the death of Superman and during the death of Superman, which wasn't image, that was DC, but still just like right around that time, just like how sports cards had that boom in like the late eighties, early nineties, comic books had that boom again in like the early nineties. So I was on that show talking about comic books. We also talked a little bit about Todd McFarlane and some of his connections to hockey. So if you want to hear that, I'll put a link in the comments where you can find Joe's podcast. Cool. Shout out to JC. I haven't talked to him in a while. So, um, a couple days ago, everybody was like, Bobby Hull is no longer an ambassador for the Blackhawks, and we need to regurgitate the same story over and over. I, I get notifications on my phone. Like, every news app wants to notify me about stuff. 99% of the time, I don't care, and I just close them and say, oh, I got to figure out how to disable this. But I see, like, ESPN and The Athletic, and WGN News, and NBC News, and Fox News, and every news wanted to talk about this. And so basically, the articles all say the same thing, that the Blackhawks and Bobby Hull decided to part ways mutually, and this decision was actually made a couple months back. 
I kind of knew about this. I had a little bit of an inside leaning towards that. Also, it kind of seemed like a foregone conclusion, considering the Blackhawks... Desire to clean up their act? Yeah, that's a great way of saying it. The Blackhawks are not in a very positive light right now. And I'm not talking about their on-ice play. I'm talking about all the off-ice BS. Like a couple weeks back, when we talked about Rocky Wirtz and his little uh, tirade. Yeah. And so... People will say Bobby Hall is probably the greatest Blackhawk ever, and he also beat his wife and his second wife. He is an abuser. And so it's very difficult to say, yay, we love this player, but oh, not what he did off the ice. And I understand that. Or in that time frame where everyone is trying to feel out the pulse of everyone. And obviously you can't because you got differing opinions on things. Now, sure, you know, people making blatantly sexist and homophobic and racist and and those types of comments, you know, that's a big red flag. Yes. And again, behavior is a big red flag. Yes. I mean, look, a few years back, you had the whole, you know, instance with Patrick Kane. And it was like one after the next, you know. Somebody said this happened, and then somebody said this happened, and then he apparently punched a taxi driver or whatever. And, you know, there was, like, all this stuff. And it's like, I don't ever hear anybody talking about any of that anymore. All I hear is people talking about how Patrick King is arguably the best American-born hockey player. So it's like there's this shift, you know, and it's more of, what are we willing to tolerate for the sake of the greater good, I guess? And with the Blackhawks just continuing to dig and dig and dig in the wrong direction, you know, this is just something that they kind of had to do, despite the fact that, I mean, this could have, this is, this could have been an instance of something that happened a year ago. It could have happened five years ago. It could have happened 50 years ago. And in this climate, it really doesn't matter anymore because as soon as somebody gets wind of it, it becomes widespread and public knowledge and the whole world knows and all the backlash begins. So regardless of what he did on the ice, regardless of what Bobby Hall did on the ice and the contributions he made to the game or anything that he did afterward, as far as being an ambassador for the team, eventually when he was brought back into the fold and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Here we are. Mm-hmm. So, see, this is why I'll never run for public office. Never. Not once, not ever. I, I could, I'm not running for town council. I'm not for running you. for county anything. I'm I not running for, for state. I'm not running for national. Nothing ever am I doing because I don't want to know what things people are going to uncover about me. Not that I have, like, led this horrible life or anything, but... I've probably forgotten lots of the bad things that I've done. And I don't want somebody throwing it back in my face. You remember that time in 2001 when you were blah, blah, blah? And I'll be like, uh, no, I was drunk. I don't remember. So that's the kind of thing that, that we're dealing with now. And it's, Right. And I we're mean, not equating like one to the other, like being drunk versus no, no, hitting no. your I'm wife not, or anything. No, like I'm not. No, I'm not comparing the things. No, I know you're not. Just simply saying that. We're in that time frame where it's like, you have to have kept your nose clean since you were an infant. 
in order to be in a position like that because someone's going to uncover it at some point. And you could fly under the radar, but unfortunately anybody affiliated with the Blackhawks organization right now has the world's largest microscope pointed right at them. Right. So Sean Avery. Now that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Not since he was put on waivers by the Rangers back in 2011. And sent down to the Connecticut Whale to play a handful of games in the AHL before he retired. Yeah. So, Sean Avery... Literally, what's old is new again, apparently. Sean Avery signed a contract with the ECHL's Orlando Solar Bears, which I still think is one of the greatest names for a minor league hockey team. Still got to find one of those old IHL Solar Bears jersey with the polar bear wearing sunglasses. Because, of course, a solar bear would wear sunglasses. But Avery, and, you know, actually, I remember Sean Avery's headshot with the Rangers. He was also wearing sunglasses. I am not making this up. Maybe it was destiny. Anyway, so he signed a contract for the remainder of the season read the article, something about he's just on their reserve list. And is he going to play? Probably. Is this a, the beginning of a comeback? I don't know. I don't care. Will he be the first one to come back after a long time? No, Claude Lemieux made a comeback after. Did you watch his video? Who? Avery. Do you follow him at all on anything? No, I uh, don't like the guy. Uh, that's all no, the more reason to follow him. No, but. You don't feed the trolls, man. Don't you know you keep your friends close and your enemies closer? I will say this. I did read his book, and it was interesting. Yeah. And if I learned one thing from his book, it's that you do not speak to Mr. Sackick. Yeah. Love that story. He, um, he's certainly a polarizing figure, especially from when he, back in his playing days, because of the type of player that he was. He was an agitator. And you either... You love an agitator when they're on your team and you hate them when they're not. But yeah, this whole thing is uh, he feels like he can play again. And his whole idea is to get some basically some real reps in full-fledged games so that he can put himself in a position to be physically ready to go into somebody's camp next year. That's his goal. Why would he wait this long? I mean... I don't know. He retired a decade ago, basically. Yeah. So, uh, what do you say? You know, if it's in your blood and you, you can't get rid of it, you got to do something to shake it. I mean, look. No, I get I it. I mean, Claude Lemieux tried to come back. Everybody gets that itch. Look. Yeah. Chris Chelios, like, basically never was going to retire. He, he seemed like he was going to play until he was 80 years old. I mean, yeah, he basically at, played until the decision was made for him. Yeah. yeah. And look at Gordy Howe. He played forever and he was still pretty good. Yeah. Even into his later years. Look at Yager. He just turned 50. He's still playing. You know, part of that's out of necessity, he claims, but other part is he loves the game and yeah. he doesn't want to retire yet. Well, he owns the team. He could do what he wants. Yeah. Of course. But, you know, his whole thing with that was people come here to see me play. If I leave, the team's going to go under. So I'm not going to let that happen. So, and mm-hmm. he still enjoys it. And he's still physically fit and works out and has a regimen of keeping in shape and physically fit like like no one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, here, here's just another example of, of a guy that just has that itch and can't 
can't ditch it and thinks he can come back and do it. So, I mean, I'll give him credit. 41 years old. I'm a few years older than that. And I wouldn't be able to do it, nor would I even try to attempt it. I mean, you look at the guys who have, who play into their early 40s or even mid-40s, and they're all usually legends, like Steve Iserman and Ray Bork, right? Like those types of players. Mario Lemieux, you know, like guys who... Lemieux was in his 40s by the time he retired, right? Uh, 2005, yeah, he was like 40, 41. But anyways, I'm getting off topic here. So... Shawnee, and that's when I get in trouble, and my mind starts wandering, and I start, like, trying to pull random facts out of the air, and then I can't remember them, and I go, oh, well, you know, maybe around that time somewhere, you know, yeah, don't at me, anyway. Think of us like Wikipedia, don't believe any of it. Ah, (laughs) citations needed. I think that, like, if Avery played until he was 38, and then stepped away for a few years and then came back and said, hey, I'm 41 and I still want to play, then I could be like, yeah, I could see that. You know, he's only a couple of years out of the game and he played at a very high level. And I don't know what he's done over the past 10 years. I don't really care. I think he did not get a fair shake with the Rangers on the second go-round. John Tortorella didn't like him, so he just wasn't going to play him, and that was that. Yeah, he has a long list of enemies that he's made over the years. No, but I mean, look, a coach can make you or break you, right? Absolutely. There's too many instances of of that with coaches. They all get pigeonholed into that category of they're the old school, the old guard coaches. Mm -hmm. The Tortorella-esque type ones. Yeah. The ones that complain about hockey's not supposed to be fun. It's serious. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of thing. So, yeah. But, I mean, he didn't just tick off coaches. He ticked off the players he played with. Ticked off teammates. You know, because yeah. he was just, like I said, he was, he's an agitator. That's just what he was. So the perfect place for an agitator, put him in the E. And that's where he's going. Because anybody that knows about the ECHL, it's a bastion for agitators. <laughs> well, the thing is, is that when Sean Avery retired, I get it. You go to the minors, you don't want to play in the minors, and you just retire. Maybe he thought he was out of options. I think he could have played the rest of the year in the minors, had a really kick-ass season because it was too good to be in the minors, and then been maybe traded to another team the next season. Maybe he didn't want that. He only really liked playing for New York. According to his book, he loved being in New York. He signed with Dallas because they paid him a lot more money. New York wouldn't pay that. He ends up going back to New York after he was suspended by the Dallas Stars for his comments about his ex-girlfriend. And then when he was back with the Rangers, I mean, you know, he was with the team for a while, but then under Tortorella, he just wasn't really going to get a fair shake. And he talk, he talks about this in his book, and uh, I'll, I'll put a link to my review of his book uh, in the comments if you want to read my review of the book and then decide if you want to read the book. I think it's a pretty good book. I mean, it was an interesting read. I enjoyed it. The purpose of the book wasn't like, hey, I want you to like me, so I'm going to write all this likable stuff about me. He just basically tells a story. He's not trying to sugarcoat anything. He's trying not, not trying to like... Although I'm sure he probably puts a little bit of a spin because everybody does. Although I don't know about that because I read uh, John Scott's book and he talked about a lot of the dumb shit he did in in his life. And Stu Grimson talks about a lot of the dumb stuff he did in his life too. So, I mean, it's good when players own up to those things in their their books and their autobiographies. But I thought that Avery had a lot of hockey left in him. I didn't really understand why he retired at 31. 
I didn't want him on my team, but he had talent. He he had, he had talent. I will say that. I'm I'm not going to deny that. Absolutely. 247 points. I think he had in his career. Here's a hypothetical for you. Sean Avery versus Brad Marchand. Who turtles harder, faster? <laughs> the two of them, the two of them square off um, and I guess neither of them throws a punch. <laughs> <laughs> They both fall into each other while turtling. Avery will wave his stick in Marshawn's face, and Marshawn will lick it. <laughs> there. Yeah. That, that's all we get. That's that's all we get, right? So uh, we haven't done a show in a little while. I was feeling kind of sick the previous week, so we had to take some time off. It wasn't COVID, thank God. Don't know what it was, though, but I had a fever. And you go, uh-oh, maybe I have the COVID, but I didn't. But it didn't stop me from watching the Olympics and watching Olympic hockey. And so we all know the results, but I'm just going to read them off anyway. So on the men's side, Finland won its first gold medal. The Russian Olympic Committee uh, won silver, and it's their third silver underneath the Russian ROCOAR or USSR banner. And then uh, the bronze medal went to Slovakia. It was their first medal ever as Slovakia since they've been competing as Slovakia since 1994. And on the women's side, Canada won the gold. They got their fifth gold medal since Olympic hockey was introduced for women in 1998. USA won silver. It's their fourth silver. And Finland won bronze, and it's their fourth bronze. So it's like the... um, women's tournament kind of played out how we kind of expected it to be where USA and Canada was going to be a close game and it was it was a three to two win by the Canadians but you know the team that's won more gold won gold and the team that's won the most silver won silver and the team that won the most bronze won bronze so I don't want to say no surprises there but definitely the the better of the two tournaments yeah, the women's tournament is usually always, and that's been the big criticism is, okay, <clears throat> which one's getting gold and which one's getting silver, U.S. or Canada? So really it ends up being a fight over bronze. You know, who's going to get the bronze medal? Um, but again, you know, the more exposure you get on the sport, the better off it is. And, you know, they've made huge strides to, other than those two juggernaut teams, semi-level the playing field with a lot of the other teams and at least bring some up. Now, obviously, there's newer teams, newer clubs. I'm going to look in the direction of China that don't have the experience, Mm -hmm. you know, at at that level and everything else. But, you know, it's great exposure for the game. You know, the men's team, the big criticism was, of course, no NHL players. Mm -hmm. Um, But you did have a lot of former NHL players on many of the rosters. Um simply because they're not currently on an NHL roster, not currently employed by the NHL, and many of them are playing in the KHL. Um, And so you did have some of that experience on there. You know, Team USA fielded an entire team full of college players and ex-NHLers and, um, you know, prospect-type guys, and they held their own. I'm surprised – I'm honestly surprised they made it as far as they did. Are you? Um, I I mean – I was so – I couldn't believe how freaking fast they looked. I mean, they just had a lot of young guys, and they just looked like a fast team. I was, I was impressed by them. 
They did, but I thought they were going to pick up more L's on the back end just mm -hmm. because they weren't going to be able to hang with some of these other some of these other more experienced teams. But I mean, they made it to the quarterfinals and you know lost three to two against Slovakia. Uh, which, In the shootout, yeah. It, but it, that's exactly it. It came down to a shootout, uh, and love it or hate it, that's how international play goes. Um, so, you know that it is what it is, and so it ended ended like it did. Um, but you know, me being the uh, national homer that I am when it comes to Olympic sports, I was happy to see Team Canada get knocked out as well. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, <laughs> that night, I don't know if you saw it, but that, that night after Team USA lost, mm -hmm. man, all the Canadians that were just on Twitter just going crazy and just giving it, giving it to Team USA, only to turn around and lose themselves the next night. It's like, huh, don't have anything to say now, do you? <laughs> right, yeah. But... uh yeah, I mean, I I was entertained by all the games that I got to watch. I didn't see everything, but I I was actually quite impressed with the level of play of many of these other teams. And like you said, that Slovakian team, they surprised me. That was they were good. That, that yeah. was a really good team. Um, you know, um, fortunately, most of the games that I wanted to watch were either on at seven ten a.m. Central Time or 10.10 p.m. Central Time. And yeah. I teach all my classes in the afternoon so I could watch a game from 7 to 10. Or, if you know, 10 o'clock at night was late enough, but, you know, the game would be over before 1, so it wasn't like I was up super late. So I liked that. I, I appreciated that. I mean, I remember the BS back in 98 when the Olympics were in Nagano and all the games were starting at like 1130 at night, but then they would tape delay them. Like I'd be, you know, I would be watching the Olympics and they'd be like, we're going to show skiing. And I'm like, okay, only four more downhill races. And then the skiing is over and I could watch hockey. And then they would show the guy at the top of the slope. And then it would like slow fade to like um, this, like, pre-packaged or this 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 um little clip about the skier right like this two little min two minute segment about him and I'm like oh come on right and then they'd show that guy do his run and then they'd show another skier and then it would fade to like this pre-recorded segment and i'm like oh come on like stop just get to the end of skiing so you could show hockey quit interrupting it and showing me these little like feel good stories about the skiers you know and then the hockey game's not on until like 1 30 in the morning so yeah, I was like super happy that these games were on at like decent times. That 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 made it really fun for me. Yeah, it's always good that you can watch them at least somewhat live rather than be seeing the broadcast and then the scrolling across the bottom of the screen already has the results of the game that you're in the middle of watching. That's always my favorite. Um but, uh, the only real, and it's not really even a criticism from my standpoint, because I didn't mind seeing the, you know, the, the the college players and the younger the younger kids and stuff like that. I mean, USA's roster had fifteen, you know, fifteen kids under the age of twenty, I think, mm -hmm. on it, and you know, it was it was nice to see that. Um, 
but you know there is somewhat of that i want to see best on best kind of thing if mm-hmm. you know if we're putting if we're going up against the best that whatever country has to offer we should be able to put up our best and obviously the best are in the nhl so um who knows if we'll see uh, the nhl back in the um, olympics for italy the next time around or I mean, the way they're talking now is possibly bringing back the World Cup. There's been discussion about that a couple times. And I think they're still discussing bringing that back for 2024. So. I am glad that Russia did not win the gold medal. And the reason why I say that. Because they're cheaters? Well, The Russian Olympic cheaters? ROC? Yeah, I know. They were OAR, now they're ROC. Next year, there'll be AFR athletes from Russia, right? Uh, I, think I mean, they they're just, just booted out of the Olympics altogether. Here's my problem I thought Russia was going to slouch its way to a gold medal. And but what I mean by that is, like, you know what? Russia has a lot of gold medals and a lot of silver, not so many silver medals. Canada still has more medals than anybody in Olympic men's ice hockey. But Russia and Canada both have nine gold medals. And um, the thing is, is that Russia is good when the other teams aren't good. So back in the like the, the 60s and 70s, they were not playing amateurs. They were they were they were professional. All those Russian teams of the, the USSR teams, uh, the, the term that I heard used was shamateurs, right? Because it's a sham. They weren't really amateurs. You know, they'd say, oh, you know, these guys, they're they're in the army and they're only amateur hockey players. They're not pro hockey players. The real job is being an officer in the army, right? Remember, like, when all those guys like Fatisov came to the U.S. and they'd always, like, say, did you know he's a lieutenant in the in the Russian army? Like, they would tell us these things, like, Here's an interesting fact about Slava Fatisov. He's he's an officer in the Russian army, but really it was like a token job because their job was to play hockey, right? You remember that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Of course. They made like a big deal about it. Like, but anyway, so the thing is is that Russia was great when they can have these guys who train together for 11 months a year go out and play the amateurs in the 60s and the 70s and in the 80s. And then when everybody else was like, "Okay, cool, we're all going to send professionals." Then Russia wasn't so good anymore, right? It was USA and Canada, and you know maybe Russia would get up there in the, in the medals, but never really the gold or the the silver, right? It was you know there was the Czech Republic in '98, and there was uh, Canada in 2002, and then again in 2010. You know what I mean? So like it's like once the playing field was leveled, Russia wasn't that good anymore, right? But then in 2018, when like okay, no NHL players. So Russia basically sends a KHL team or KHL caliber players. It's like the very best Russians are going to be in the NHL, like Ovechkin and Panarin. The very best Americans and Canadians are going to be in the NHL. But you know what? The second best and third best American and Canadians are also going to be in the NHL or in North America, maybe in the AHL. Whereas your second line Russian guys might say, "Ah, you know what, I'm going to go play in Russia for $10 million a year instead of being a second or third liner on an NHL team, right? So 
the second tier Russians that went over to the KHL and became top liners there are usually going to be better than whatever teams the other countries muster up for teams. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So because um, again, it's it's a lot of the NHL castoffs. You know, you play right. in the NHL, you make a team, you're there for a few years, you're not quite on the cusp. What do you do? You either get sent down to the AHL and have to fight your way back up, or you make what you're making now, mm-hmm. if not maybe more, and go over there. Right, right. So that's what I mean about them slouching their way to a gold medal. Like, you th- you look at, like, back in uh, – and again, I just I – just, Remembered now because the name didn't mean anything back then, but uh, the guy who scored the OT winner for Russia in uh, 2018 was Kirill Kaprizov. See that? Yeah. So, you know, a young up and comer, you know, before he was in the NHL. Um, But, you know, you look at Germany, I mean, basically forcing Russia to overtime. I mean, that's in, in 2018. That's awesome. You know, so, I mean, they ha- I don't want to say they worked harder because both teams obviously worked hard to get to the gold medal game. I'm not trying to discount one versus the other, but I think that um, I'm more, I was more impressed by Germany in 2018, I'll just say, based, based on the players that they were playing with. Yeah. I just wish somebody would come along and make an Olympic hockey set again. I, I know most of them are all that have existed through time are all commemorative type ones from the Miracle on Ice team, which just celebrated the anniversary. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that'd be cool if somebody could latch on to that one year. Something readily available here in the United States. I'm not talking like you know, some Finnish company or Russian company that only makes it in Europe. I'm talking something we can get here. I think that'd be cool. And the problem with that is if you get if you get all the teams of all the players, then you have to basically get all the the the, the countries to sign off on it. I know the logistics are impossible, but I just think it would be cool. That's and all. you're not gonna get I mean, yeah, I think it'd be I great. I didn't say I had a solution of how to do it. I just think it'd be cool to do I'm it. I'm just being the naysayer who's saying no, dream on Tim, it's never gonna happen. They could do a men's set and a women's set. That would be awesome. I would love that. Well, I mean, you know, and hey, that could that could especially with the women's hockey, because they're definitely more open to um, expanding that market, you know, with the PHF cards and stuff. Yeah, and I heard the, at least in Canada, I heard the results of the TV viewings for the women's final. And three, they had three million viewers in Canada. And considering yeah. that game started at after eleven o'clock Eastern time, that's pretty good. In the U.S., the women's gold medal game had three point five four million U.S. viewers. I mean, that's pretty good when you consider the time that it was on. Ten o'clock at night. It's the second most watched hockey game in the U.S. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's something. I agree. So we have another outdoor game. We do coming up. Yeah, the stadium series, and I kind of forgot about that. Um, yeah, because I think there's been so much other stuff going on that it's like, oh, yeah, we're doing this too. And it kind of got pushed 
I don't want to say it got pushed under the rug because I mean it was out there and people know about it, but right. It, I feel like it hasn't been hyped up like they have been in the past. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. Um, there, the NHL posted a bunch of time lapse videos mm-hmm. on their YouTube page. If you haven't seen those, they're pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, where they show the setup um, of the rink and everything. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. Problem they're dealing with now is keeping the ice frozen. So um, it'll be interesting come Saturday to see how that see how that pans out. Because I know the, the last few years of some of the outdoor games, there's been some a few hiccups here and there. Um, just simply based off the weather. And I think Nashville's going to see some interesting weather come Saturday that could be, could be fun. They already said they have a backup plan, though. Which is what? Uh, just to go down the street to the stadium and play inside. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be funny? Yeah, because if, if obviously they can't do it. And that's the other thing, too. It's not just about keeping it necessarily frozen it's about keeping it in good decent quality i mean how many times have we watched outdoor games where the ice has been so choppy that you know the players don't even want to play anymore because it's horrible and the pucks all over the stinking place yeah you know? outdoor hockey is its own animal and i mean as an amateur hockey player who plays on indoor rinks and on outdoor rinks I can tell you there is a big difference. Like, and this is and this is just like shitty amateur beer league ice, right? Where like we get the ice resurfaced between games, but not between periods. You know what I mean? Right. And nobody freezes the pucks for us so they don't bounce around. It's it's none of that. You know, it's like they zam the ice after the game before us, and you know by the second or third period, it's choppy. You know, but even then, it's still just outdoor. Yeah, outdoor is, like, not fun. We don't have heated benches, you know, nor would you expect that. But, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, it's, there are problems. I mean, there are problems. I mean, I remember playing, actually, the last organized hockey league I played in was an outdoor league, and then COVID came along and kind of put the kibosh on that for a while. But, um, you know, there'd be sunlight and there'd be puddles where the, the sun was hitting the ice. And you'd get, like, a lot of reflection and then I'd be squinting because I never wanted to do that eye black, but now I understand why the football players do it, you know, because you get hit in the eye with, or you're, you're, you're playing outdoors and the row of cars beyond the glass that are in the parking lot, the sun's reflecting off of their windshields and hitting you in the eyes, you know what I mean? So it's funny though, that their backup plan is to go indoors because I thought about like, totally unrelated but like i remember i used to work for a toy company and i remember like my first summer with that company they're like oh yeah we're having our annual company picnic and it's going to be a lot of fun because this was back when it was like happy fun toy company before we got bought by evil corporation and became cubicle farm toy company right and so they had all this stuff planned for this picnic and then they uh it rained like crazy (laughs) it like it like poured like it was like a Noah's Ark level rainstorm so they moved our picnic inside there was like a 
a school it was the summer so the school wasn't in session and whatever school was nearby we were allowed to use their gym for our picnic and then all the like fun little games they had for us we played indoors and it was just like okay yeah this is fun but you know kind of sucks that we can't be outside and the grass and sun and what ceases to become a picnic when you have to go inside right well you're still at like well, we were at like lunchroom tables, but yeah, exactly. Okay, well, so oh, hopefully they'll uh, this will go off without a hitch, and it'll be another pretty decent game. Like I said the the rain and the warmer weather this past week has mm-hmm. wreaked a little bit of havoc with them, but you know the the NHL crews, the ground the grounds crew and the the ice crew and the teams that they have setting these up, those guys are master magicians when it comes to this kind of thing. So yeah. I'll figure it out. I'll watch it. I'll definitely watch it. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I like the outdoor games. You know, I like, I like all star games. I like outdoor games. I do like the pa- pageantry. I do like the player introductions. I do like sometimes the musical performances. If it's an artist that I like or think are cool, then you know, I'm good with that. I'm good with all of that. Uh, yeah. Hockey cards. My favorite hobby for 15 years now. Pretty much, yeah, I think so. I think that's kind of like when I eased back into card collecting and eased out of the toy collecting. So uh, just a couple of quick hits here. So 2021 OPG Platinum is on Upper Deck E-Pack. I, I don't know what the, the prices are per pack. Do you happen to recall? Um, I don't think you want to know what the price no, is. No, I want to know. I, I, I'm ready. I'm, I'm going to cue that laugh track. There's seven a pack. <laughs> That's not too bad, but so that's for bo- what four cards? Yeah, it's four cards in a pack. Uh, you can do a box of twenty packs for one hundred and thirty-five. I know I didn't get any hits doing it this way, but I bought like a I bought a complete set with the short prints for like forty dollars or fifty dollars. Yeah, and that's way cheaper than four cards for seven dollars. But again, it, it is. You but don't get any autographs. You don't get any. Sure. And, you don't get any. What are those underwater, under the sea parallels? And here, here's the, the the other thing too. We're talking about EPAC here, so it's a different animal. You know, with EPAC, you're collecting and you're trying to get it, uh, whatever that number is, so that you can combine copies of those to turn digital cards into real cards. Um, you know, all of the hits and short prints and everything else are already real cards right out of the pack. Um, the color wheel parallels that you've seen only come from EPAC. Those aren't packed out in regular physical packs. Hmm. Um, I think the rookies, you only need five cards, the base cards, you need 10. You can combine them and turn them into the, um, the, you know, the EPAC exclusive parallels. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, it's a different animal. There's achievements and there's stuff like that. So it takes somebody that's looking for that extra level of collecting rather than just buying a pack and open it and here's my card. This is something, it's something different. It's Right. That's what yeah. E-Pack well, is. It's something is different. A big driver for that. I agree. Absolutely. But at the same time, you know, I've been toying with the idea of um, completing the Sunset Parallel set. Ooh, and good luck on once, that one. what's that? It's a good luck on that one. Well, I mean, they're not super hard to come by. 
No, but some of them people have got pretty lofty ideas of what they are valued What at. they think they're worth, right, uh-huh. yeah. Well, EPAC is going to level that playing field a little bit. Absolutely, and that's the other thing I was going to bring up is, you know, those of you that have waited to see what these are going to do on the secondary market, well, now we're getting to that point where it's your chance because when you find these, obviously the linked up portion of this goes directly into Comp C for many people. Mm-hmm. And if you shop on Comp C, give it about a few weeks of this being out and you'll start to see everything pop up on there and all of the I got to be the lowest so people buy my card mm-hmm. will begin and those cards that are two bucks now will become 30 cents. Yep. In two to three weeks. So. Yep. And then that's when I say, okay, I'm going to build this set now at, you know, yeah. 40 cents got, a card. If you've got the patience and you don't need to have it right now, go for it. Yeah. And remember, we're, we are talking 2021 OPG Platinum too. So this isn't new product. This isn't 21, 22. This is 2021. That's been out already from a physical standpoint. It's just now you can get the EPAC version. This so. has just been such a confusing year for hockey collecting. Oh, where absolutely. we have last year's cards and this year's cards. And they're kind of coming out. I mean, other than the cup, that was like the one exception. Like, okay, the, last year's cup is now coming up in the middle of this season. But like now it's just, it's all intertwined. It's 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 been strange. Yeah, and it's going to continue to be strange until the supply chain issues get fixed. And I don't, honestly, I don't see an end to that anytime soon. Um, What's interesting, though, is that National Hockey Card Day is still on time, on track for uh, this Saturday. It is. And I'm actually kind of surprised that stores, well, I'm hoping that the stores all have the inventory. Mm -hmm. The, um, the, 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 my at least in my mind, the hope is that these cards were printed long ago, <laughs> well, so that they've had plenty of time to get them packed out and sent to all of the participating stores in the U.S. and Canada and in Europe. Well, I did. I did call a few of the stores that I'm going to go to, and they've already confirmed that they've gotten the cards. Well, that's good to know. So yeah, I, I call ahead of time, but I knew we were going to talk about this. So I just wanted to make sure, like, we don't talk about this. And then, like, Saturday, rah, rah, no cards, right? So, yeah. So, uh, usually the shops get them. Um, sometimes they've gotten them as late as, like, Friday. You know, like, Upper Deck will, like, overnight them the cards just because sometimes things kind of get delayed. But I know that the shops that I talked to, at least here in Illinois, where I'm at. But, yeah. So, basically, you have a USA set. You have a Canadian set that has different cards. And then it, a couple countries, a couple countries, a handful of countries in Europe and even Asia, because there's some South Korea card shops and Japanese card shops that are going to be participating, as well as some card shops in Germany and in France and in the Czech Republic and in Sweden. And they're going to need to change this from National Hockey Card Day to International Hockey Card Day. Yeah, although it looks like the Europeans will be getting the American cards. Does that Pop- make the Canadian ones more scarce then? Eh, I don't so know, American but I would think that... The ones will be worldwide and the Canada ones will just be in Canada? Yeah, but I think that more shops in Canada probably participate in it. 
maybe? I don't know. I should look at that listing of stores in Canada. Let's see here. Oh, yeah. And then they got like, you know, their big box stores, London Drug, Toys R Us, and GameStop are also participating. Yeah, there's seems like there's quite a few Canadian stores. Do they have a list of their Canada stores? They do. It's like six pages. I mean, you it's know. It's only six pages? The U.S. one's nine pages. Oh, well, then there you go. So, yeah. So I was just wondering if that was a difference. I'm looking forward to it. I like the way the cards look. I like the, the weird stripey thing that's on the card. Going what, across. in the U.S. cards? Yeah. And it looks too much like the Blue Lives Matter flag to me. <laughs> really? Well, no, they're blue stripes and white stripes instead of black stripes and white stripes. It just looks kind of weird. I, I don't know. It's okay. It's different. You know what? I'll give it that. It's different and unique. Um, I think it stands out. Kind okay. of. Even though it sort of doesn't, because if you look at all the players wearing the white jerseys, they kind of blend in with the background. Yeah. I'm, I'm just happy there's a penguin in it. That's all. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, the Canada set. So then it looks like you got we got mascots. We got the victory uh, black rookies, which look really cool. Um, I wonder if they're Magic Potion cards. I don't know. They just look really – they look like they could be – Digital representations of magic motion cards because the way the, the player looks a little blurry, but they're probably not because those cost more money to make. And I guess for yeah, like a giveaway product, you're not going to. Yeah, I don't not, think they are. I think that's yeah. just how they're designed. Let's see here. I'm going to read off the players. So in the U.S. set, we have Cole Caulfield, Quinton Byfield, Spencer Knight, Trevor Zegras, Moritz Sider. Jake Gensel, Philip Grubauer, Jack Hughes, Adam Fox, Mark Andre Fleury, first card as a Blackhawk, Sean McEachran, Adam Denbarsh, Mike Madano, John LeClaire, Keith Kachuk, and then a rookie moments of Trevor Zegras, and then five different Victory Black rookies Lucas Raymond, William Eklund, Cole Sillinger, Anton Lundell. And more cider again. And then for mascots, we got Sabretooth of the Buffalo Sabres, Nordy of the Minnesota Wild, Thunderbug of the Tampa Bay Lightning, Chance of the Vegas Golden Knights, and of course, Gritty for the Philadelphia Flyers. And then let me just ramble off these Canadian guys really quick. I can't Canada, believe they made a Sean McEachern card. That's as cool. a broom, too, right? That's pretty cool. That is that is cool. You know, I actually love, let's talk about that for a minute. So I'm like looking at this. Okay, cool that they got Grubauer as a um, Kraken. Yeah, essentially this is like the first real Kraken physical card, wouldn't it yeah. be? Yeah. I think yeah, it would it be. Because there's none in Series 1 since the checklist came out. Right. Um, and then the first card of uh, Marc-Andre Fleury is a Blackhawk, also very cool. Sure. And, uh, you know, Mike Madano, but he's wearing an all-star jersey from 92-93, which I love. Um, and then, uh, yeah, pretty solid uh, group of rookies here with Cole Caulfield, Quinton Byfield, Spencer Knight, Trevor Zegras, and uh, Moritz Sider. Yeah, with having Sider as a base card and also having Lucas Raymond in there with the victory rookies. Mm-hmm, I, mean, mm-hmm. I know that those are two that were left off of the uh, initial Young Guns list and people were like irate and losing their minds over it mm-hmm. but yeah I, th- I just think that that selection is cool and they do this every year they'll have guys that you expect to see and then all of a sudden they'll throw somebody in you're like 
well, that's interesting. And that was the Sean McEachern. I'm like, what? That's weird. <laughs> so looking at the Canadian set, I'm going to botch some of these names because I haven't heard them before. So Cole Caulfield again. So he's in both the U.S. set and in the Canadian set. Jacob Bernard Docker of the uh, Ottawa Senators. Vasily Podkolzin of the... <laughs> yeah, sorry. Hey, I need a pronunciation guide for them Russian names. That's uh, that's all right. You're you're okay. You're, you're doing good. You're doing keep, good. Keep going. And he's on the Canucks. Yep. We got here Cole Perfetti. Yep, you got the, it. Of the uh, um, Winnipeg Jets. Winnipeg, yep. Shane Pinto of the Senators. And then going to veteran players, we got Leon Dreisaitl of the Oilers, Morgan Riley of the Maple Leafs, Bo Horvat of the Canucks, Nick Suzuki, Canadians, Pierre-Luc Dubois of the Jets, and then for the hockey heroes, Ray Bork, Theron Fleury, Trevor Linden, Ron Hextall, and Willie O'Ree. The rookie moments card that you get with the purchase is Cole Caulfield, the uh, victory rookie black, Mason McTavish, Cole Perfetti, Hendricks, LaPierre, uh, that Vasily guy. I'm not going to try his last name again. But I remember when Kaprizov was hard to say, and now it's easy. I remember when Javi Bulin was hard to say, and now it's easy. So eventually I'll get Podkolzin. Okay, yeah, rolls yes. right off the tongue. It, it does. Philip. It absolutely does. Tomasino, and then we got for mascots, UP of the Canadiens, Mickey Moose of the Jets, Carlton the Bear of the Maple Leafs, uh, Finn the Whale of the Canucks, and Hunter of the Oilers. And uh, I'm going to just point out right now that the UP card, he is, that is the same photo that is on his tops sticker. And I know that because he has a Movember mustache, which I thought was a really odd choice of photo to use on his top sticker, because that's not like how he normally looks. He doesn't have a mustache year round. That's just for like, uh, you know, like a kind of a one off kind of thing. So the fact that they're also using that on his um, upper deck National Hockey Card Day card is just eh, okay, kind of an odd coincidence. Never mind the fact that his entire body is a mustache. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, like, if Chewbacca grew a mustache, would we even notice? Exactly. Right. This doesn't doesn't uh, um, doesn't matter. So it's anyway, funny, it's funny oh. you brought that up because I was going through some cards the other day. Yep. Not not that this. I mean, it's relative. The 2010-11 upper deck Chris Drury base card. Yep. Is the same photo as the 2010-11 Donruss base card. Yes. So Panini and Upper Deck both used the same photo. Well, there's also cards. there's also a Patrick Kane card. I wrote an article about that. I'll link to it. Um, where um, Panini and Upper Deck used the same Patrick Kane photo. It's a horizontal photo of him taking a, a shot against the Ducks goalie. I think it's Jonas Hiller, and um, sure that happens a lot. I mean, I've seen I've seen Upper Deck use the same photo on different releases, especially mm -hmm. on ones where they have um, veteran players, mm -hmm. like tired guys. Mm -hmm. they, they tend to recycle those a lot. But this, I just happened to notice that I was like flipping through one of my binder book binders, and 
I saw that card. I'm like, wait a minute. I, there's a double in here? And I flip back, and I'm like, this is different. This is a totally different card, but it's the same picture. But that was interesting. So anyways, you can visit upperdeck.com slash NHCD, and then there you'll be prompted to pick which country you're in, and then you can find the lists of participating retailers and also see images of the cards that are going to be given away. Basically, you go to your card shop, they'll give you a pack of cards, you make a purchase, then you get that special 16th card. So cards one through 15 are found in the packs, five cards per pack. Card number 16, you gotta make a purchase for. And if you're in Canada, when you go to one of those big box stores like London Drug, they will give you a uncut sheet nine card sheet of nhcd cards which is super awesome yeah all of the places that they have up there we don't have here like toys are us like toys are us (laughs) r.i.p um let's see here just a couple of a couple more quick hits before we move on to our big topic um i'm almost done with my top sticker set two stickers away when i get those stickers we're going to talk tops hockey stickers because i'll have the full set and then I can I can speak about it because I have the whole set, you know. Uh, Don't like to talk about sets with holes in them, you know. Well, so, not really. So that hasn't for that day. That doesn't that hasn't stopped me from talking about you know every upper deck set that I'm still not yet haven't completed after years, you know. I mean, I don't think I I, I did finish my 0607 set and my 0708 set. I don't think I have all of 0809, and I definitely don't have all of 0506 because of Crosby and Ovechkin. But, um, but uh, oh, and another thing, I uh, I actually took the time to uh, peel and page my 94-95 Tops Finest Hockey set. Yeah. I, I thought I, I had that set all these years, and then I, when I was looking for it, I didn't have it. And I'm like how do I not have this set after like 25 years? So I bought one. They're not very expensive. I think I paid like $30 for it or something. I bought one. I removed all the protective film because I was going to put it in pages. And I did. And it was time consuming. I bet. And it took a lot of time. What'd you do with all the film? Oh, um, I, well, I tried selling it. Uh, tried selling them as a lot on Twitter, but I didn't have any takers. Oh, well. Well, you know, I mean, nobody saved that stuff. So I figured, eh, this stuff's 25 years old. Nobody saved it. Maybe somebody wants it, right? Keep like, it for we another 25 of... years, it might be worth something. Oh, well, I threw it out. I got tired of looking at it. It was just this pile. You know what it was like? You know what it's like? Remember, like, when you're a kid and, like, you uh, you get the craft cheese singles and you have to, like, peel, the, uh, peel them out of the wrapper? Mm-hmm. And you know how, like, when you peel the wrapper, you don't want to break the cheese, but usually you peel the wrapper and that little part of the cheese, you know what I'm talking about? Like I, the, I know. The and it was worse 10, with the generic cheese. Yes, the bottom 10% of that cheese like breaks because it sticks to the wrapper. So you have like 90% of the cheese and then the other 10% is still stuck to the wrapper, right? right. I, I kind of had like flashbacks of that a little bit. Like I didn't want to like damage the cards. Yeah. Not that that like... More than anything, you're going to pick the corner, like literally like pick at the corner to try to get the um, to, to get it uh, lifted, you know. And then once you do that, like I felt like some of them were easy to do, it just went, and it came off. 
And other ones I had to like peel slower because it kind of stuck harder. It almost felt like they used two different consistencies of film because some felt like really thin and easy to pull off the cards and some were a little thicker. Or maybe I'm just imagining this. I don't know. He very well could have been. And then I think the the other funny thing was like... Some of it may have even deteriorated over all these years. Well, you know what? All the cards were in good shape, but what was funny was the first one I peeled was Steve Eiserman because I wanted to take a picture of like a notable player. A lot of times where it says remove protective film, it's like printed right over where the player is. Like not printed on the player, but where the film lines up. So I wanted it to be visible, right? So that was just a nice card. So I, I peeled that one first. But then I put it back in the set and then I'm like sitting there and I'm like watching a hockey game and I'm like peeling, peeling. And then I get to one and I'm like picking, picking the corner. I'm like, why won't this damn film? And then I looked and it was the Iserman card that I had already peeled. And like I almost like I almost like pried up the corner on it and like peeled off the actual card from itself. I didn't though, I didn't damage it. But if I did, I don't care. I would just flatten it, put it in the page. It's fine. It's my card. I'm gonna enjoy it. Well, I'm glad you took this took the leap and just decided to tear them all. Heck yeah, why not? That's that's I'm gonna enjoy them that way. I have a lot of those sets from like the mid '90s, like the Certifieds and the um, you know the finest, and well, I have this finest now, and you know, uh, you know, Pinnacle did a lot of sets like that, and Don Ross. Um, Real quick, just going to throw this out there. Chicago Sports Spectacular, March 18th to 20th. Mark your calendars. If you're in or around Chicago, come to the Chicago Sports Spectacular. I will be there selling cards and T-shirts. And it's an awesome time. And uh, hopefully you'll be there, too, if you don't rock too hard the night before, Tim. You know, we will certainly try. Um I don't know. I don't know about this one, but we'll see. Yeah, Tim's a rock star in his spare time, so he's going to be yeah. rocking the house. He's going to be playing hardly. a playing a show the night before. Hard, hardly a rock star. Well, you play music. I do rock. I am yeah. not a star. Okay. All right. I'm a rock. Uh, I'm just a rock. It's closer to what I am. <laughs> Okay, a conversation you started on Twitter a couple days ago, and I thought this was great. You're talking about baseball's definition of a rookie card and then about hockey's definition of a rookie card. And then a lot of other people started talking about this. And then when you suggested we talk about this for a podcast, I'm like, oh, hell yeah, that'd be an awesome show. I'd love to talk about this, right? So RC or not RC, that is the question. Yeah. I don't know what baseball's rules are because I know Topps puts out its professional debut set, which doesn't count as rookie cards, but it's like the player in a minor league uniform. And then they, then when they make it to the majors and they put them out in a top set, like I have a couple cards of Luis Robert of the White Sox. I have some of his 2019, I think it's called uh, pro debut is the name of the set, like Topps pro debut. And I have some cards of those, not considered rookie cards. Don't have the RC designation on them. And then in 2020, he's in the Tops 2020 sets. And um, that those have the RC 
designation on them. So they're considered rookie cards. And I just said, oh, okay, sure. so free rookie cards and rookie cards and tops basically trying to milk it for all it's worth. Like, oh, here's a guy who's playing in the minor leagues. Let's make cards of them now. And, and then I guess the thing is that if people don't really care about the minor league card, like if they don't see it as like a big deal, even if it's made by tops, I don't want to say what's the point, but I guess if you're like a player collector or you just like minor league cards, like I love minor league hockey cards, you know, I, I want to buy them. I want to have those cards of the players before they make their NHL debut. So I do understand that, that desire to own these cards. Well, like you said, my, my post was prompted by this argument that's been going on since top series one hit the, hit the market for baseball. And that's mm-hmm. partially for the fact that the Wander Franco card mm-hmm. is the point of contention in all of this. And I'm not going to get into any of that, but just know that there's a base card of baseball, if you don't pay attention, that people are selling for just ridiculous amounts of money. And it's mm-hmm. stupid. So my my whole thing was, imagine if the hockey collecting community had the same ongoing brouhaha over what is or isn't a rookie card. And to further my sarcasm, I said, at least we can all agree that the only true rookie cards are the OPG marquee rookies. So, right. Me, I don't think me, anybody got the joke. You, you all, I think a lot of people got the joke, but there were a few people that made comments like, uh... Don't you mean young guns? Of course, this is sarcasm, people. So just relax. And I put hashtag arguing semantics, which that's from a movie. If you remember, that's from Harold and Kumar. I'm not here to argue semantics. I haven't seen that movie in years. Yeah. So anyway, this sparked a lively discussion about this, which I guess it is the opposite of what I thought there is kind of a, a thing with people. And the interesting part of it is everybody seems to have their own opinion and their own definition of what they feel is a rookie card and what they're comfortable feeling is a rookie card. And really other than that, there's nobody's really willing to fight over it <laughs> from this standpoint because everybody's just comfortable with their own definitions. And, you know, you go back to, okay, what is a true rookie card? And like you said, you, you weren't sure what baseball's rules are. You know, I, I always remember the rules being kind of what Beckett defined them as back in the day because mm-hmm. everybody had a Beckett guide and looked in the guide and looked for values and everything else. And that was kind of the thing. And they always said that rookie cards had to be something that was a licensed release that was nationally distributed and had to be a base card. Couldn't be an insert, a parallel, a redemption, any of that. And they usually didn't count box sets either because yeah. the tops traded baseball sets were never counted. Well, they were counted as XRCs. Yeah, and if it wasn't part of the main base release, then it, then it fell outside of that realm and it came became something else. Um you know, I think there there were new rules that were passed at one point or another, talking about the rookie card logo for baseball. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to talk about baseball. I want to talk about hockey and what we consider that. And we mm-hmm. have kind of a there, there's kind of a, a a set of periods of this. You you kind of have 
what you can consider rookie cards, you know, pre, I would say pre 1990s, mm-hmm. what you consider rookie cards during the 90s mm-hmm. into the early 2000s, and then what we consider rookie cards after the NHL and the NHLPA came up with the licensing rules for trading card manufacturers. Yes. Um, and it's interesting to look at all of those because you kind of have, you have some similar things, but then you also have some weird and wacky things that kind of fall off the, the grid. And of course you have your outliers to this too. And a lot of this was brought up in their, our conversations that we were having on here. And it, it was fun to talk about this because, you know, for many, many years, really there weren't rules per se for rookie cards let me outline the rules really quick just in case the listeners don't know them so the current rules now that's basic right the current rules we'll start with those so basically with the nhlpa if a player appears in a licensed hockey set nhl nhlpa license set To be on a rookie card, a skater must appear in one regular season game. To be on a rookie card, a goalie must either be on the bench or play in one NHL game. So the skater's got to be in the game. I guess even if he's in the game but, you know, doesn't get any shifts, he's still considered in the game. You know, like he played a game, suited up for a game. And goalie, same thing. I mean, you can have a guy get called up and he's just a backup. But that's considered a game. And so that that counts, right? Those are the rules now. It wasn't always like that. And, you know, they changed over time. Just like any rules or any any laws or anything, you know, the rules of hockey have changed over time. The card companies can have their own rules of, like, who can be included and not included, and that's stipulated by the Players Association. So from what I understand, the Players Association they get a licensing fee, right? Like Upper Deck or whomever says, here's a bunch of money, we're going to make cards with your players. And then the PA says, cool, thanks. And then they take that money, they divide it up amongst the players, right? Sounds pretty straightforward. The problem was the companies were doing that in the early 90s where they'd say to the players, hey, here's you know, here's the money for the license, the NHLPA license. And they'd say, okay, cool. But then you like say, look at score. You know, they had a Matt Sundin card. Well, he wasn't in the NHL yet. So they probably paid him some money or they did definitely paid him some money. All those guys in the draft pick subset, like Martin Broder and Yarmir Yager, they hadn't played in the NHL yet. They weren't on NHL contracts and here they had cards. So they had to be paid to be put in the set. Eric Lindros, same thing. I mean, he was paid to be included in the 90-91 score set. So I believe the point of contention is that the players who were in the league may have been making less money than the one-on-one side deals that were being struck up with the guys who weren't in the PA yet. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense because that was one of the big contentious points of the the strike back in, you know, 90... 91, 90, 92. 90. Yeah, 92, yeah. The strike of 92. Hockey card money was a big part of that strike. Yes, you are absolutely correct. Yeah, and the fact that there were companies out there signing exclusive deals with individual players that hadn't yet set foot on NHL ice. I mean, that was, that was kind of a big deal. And whether there were, were written rules at the time or not, 
besides the point. The hobby kind of generated what was and wasn't a rookie card at that point. You know, people decided, hey, the 90 score card is Martin Brodeur's rookie, not what came out later on after he appeared in games and right. you know, showed up in action photo of him playing for the Devils. Right. You know, obviously those cards people look at, oh, well, that's like his second year or third year or whatever. Right. That's not his rookie. Same with Eric Lindros. Eric Lindros didn't have a card when he played until a few years later because he didn't play. But right. yet here he is with these cards in score and technically, quote unquote, illegal cards that Upper Deck put out in 90 and 91 of him. Much um, trolling by that, Upper Deck, yes. Yeah, that people consider to be the rookie card. So it's kind of collectors in the hobby sort of dictated what was and wasn't a rookie card at that point. But like you said, you're right. Number one, these have to come from a fully licensed product that the NHL and HLPA give permission to say, yes, this can be our product and you can put it out. And with today's rules, well, there is only one company that has that right, mm-hmm. and that's Upper mm-hmm. Deck right now. There was a brief moment in time a few years back when Panini also had that right to do the same thing. Um Prior to all of that, and prior to, you know, 04, it was still kind of, you know, kind of iffy as to what went on and and what could constitute what was in there. Now, I don't think many people would argue that you wouldn't consider young guns to be, I hate this term, but true rookie card. And I I use air quotes for true Mm -hmm. because... I don't like that term, but I think most people would agree that those would be classified as a rookie card, right? Absolutely. Even they don't have a rookie card logo, but they are young guns and young guns have existed going all the way back to, you know, the original 1990, 91 upper deck release. Um, other than of course the, you know, the ones they did in what year was it? Oh, three. Of like the retired player ones. Yes. I think they made like a Lemieux one and a Gretzky one and stuff like that. They did that for a couple times, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're not talking about those, of course. We're just talking about the, the general, you know, the general rookie card. So I, so I think there's no real argument there that those aren't considered rookies. But it's a lot of the other things. And, you know, do you consider an insert card a rookie? Do you consider a parallel card a, uh, a rookie card? Do you consider anything that may not be readily available to everybody else. Like for instance, like we just got done talking about national hockey card day. Well, you got Mort's cider in there. He doesn't have a base rookie card yet, but yet here's a rookie card. He hasn't been on one. And here you go. Is that a rookie card? Well, technically, you know, meets all the requirements nationally distributed. It's a licensed card came from a pack, officially licensed, nationally distributed. It has to be nationally released. It has to be played in at least one game. Yep. And it has to be the first card that features them in a standard type sequentially numbered set. Nope. And I think I, that's where we miss. That's one of the things that we miss. I don't know. If the, they're numbered 1 through 16. That seems pretty standard to me. I don't know. I don't know if you would call this that because I almost feel like this is a regional set because it's not available everywhere. 
if I lived in southern Indiana and I went on this list and said, where's the closest store to me that has, you know, these cars? None. None stores. There's nowhere near me that I can even go to find these. So I would have to go to regional. It's very similar to like if if um, a team puts out a team release that's only available at, you know, the March 19th game. Everybody, 1,500 fans get this set. And it's got one of these guys that are rookies in it. Mm-hmm. You know, if I live in San Jose, California, I can't get that set well, no, unless but, I fly oh, and go to that game. Yeah, but I mean, look, there were no top sets in 82, 83, or 83, 84, no tops hockey sets. So the OPG cards, which were available in Canada, but also made its way their way to the U.S., um, are considered the rookie cards, <laughs> at least by collectors, not if you go by the backs of 91, 92 top stadium club cards, which... Oh, of course. We can talk about that another time because I got so much, so much vitriol for that set. But um, but again, we're talking a different time frame when there weren't really rules. Okay, but 0506 Beckett made the controversial decision to designate Crosby's McDonald's card as a rookie card, even though those were available at McDonald's of Canada. I mean, we didn't get those in the U.S. Uh, I know. I feel some kind of way about that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it is leaning towards that because he, he, here's the thing. It begs the question. And this is one topic that didn't really come up in our discussion was you can have a different designation and a different category of a card that comes out during that rookie year that may not necessarily be a rookie card. Because really, if it's not a base card, it's not a rookie card. In my opinion. Right, if it's not part of that set, 1 through 250 or whatever. Prime example, take the Young Gun Checklists. Young Gun Checklists feature two players generally, but also one of those players, or both of those players, had cards earlier sequentially in that set. Right. So even though it's still featuring them, it still says Young Guns, I don't feel that the checklists are necessarily rookie cards, but they're rookie year cards, I guess, would be what I would label them as. What do you what do you fine. what do you think of that? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean Or like let's say there's a like let's say in the base set of upper deck during Connor McDavid's rookie year. So you have his young gun, let's say card number five hundred was like a season highlight card for him or something. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't consider that a rookie card. No. Even though it comes from his rookie year, I wouldn't necessarily put that rookie card label on it. Um, it, it but that's, again, that's, that's how things are today. You know, go back, let's say early 90s. That happened all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had sets where, or even in the 80s, uh, I mean, go back to like the early '80s when they had those record breaker cards in in various sets. Yes. A lot of the record breaker cards each year featured at least some feat that was pulled off by a rookie. Um, I think there was a record breaker Mike Bossy card. There was yes. a record breaker uh, Ray Bort card. Yes, in, the year he was a rookie in. Um, are the record breakers rookie cards? No. Okay. I mean... So we're establishing this common ground here where it's got to be a base card, right? I think we've 
Yeah, I agree that it needs to be a base and not be an insert. That's not going to stop me, though, from, well, I mean, mean, people are going to collect what they like, obviously, as as you say. I think an 05-06 Alex Ovechkin insert card is probably a little more desirable than an 06-07 Alex Ovechkin base card. Oh, yes, don't get me wrong. Yeah, I'm not trying to diminish the value of any of them. No, 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 no. I'm simply saying, what do you call it? And whether you call it a rookie card or where you call it a rookie or insert, I'm not trying to take anything away from potential value here at Mm -hmm. all. Um, Because 0506 is a great example because of all that, that great rookie class that was in there and all of the other sets that, or insert sets that Upper Deck put out that year to go along and complement the set. Um, you know, the stars in the making, that's one in particular. That was chocked full of rookies. Mm-hmm. They all came from that rookie year, and I see people all the time on various websites and auction sites selling those cards, labeling them as rookie cards. And they absolutely are not. It's an insert. It's not a rookie card. Mm-hmm. And, and see, I think that's where, you know, even though we've had young guns for so long, people kind of get spoiled to say, okay, the young guns are the rookie cards. Yep. Well, there were other brands. And within that, Upper Deck makes other brands too. I mean, you have MVP, you have OPG, you have, you know, S- all the SP, different versions of SP that come out. You have Black Diamond, you have... You know, ice. You had trilogy. You have, you know, you name it. You can go year by year, and there's all these different releases that also have rookie cards in them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it gets kind of hairy when you have years where you have all these different parallels, like perfect trilogy. What does trilogy do every time they come out with it? Well, they have the rookie premieres, and they're always tiered. So you have premier level one, premier level two, premier level three, and they all have different versions and it's usually like a different picture um you know full full body shot closer up headshot um one has an autograph one has autograph and jersey piece one has mm-hmm. autograph and patch um what are those rookies well technically by the rules the base one is the one numbered out of 799 or 999 or whatever it's numbered out of. that one is but all the subsequent ones the more desirable ones, I guess, like the ones with the RPAs, mm-hmm. technically those wouldn't be rookie cards by the definition, simply because they're not the first. They're extra afterward or they're parallel. Right. And I mean, like, I, uh, what was it? I recently bought a David Savard RPA from the Cup, and it was the gold parallel version and i got it for less than what people were asking for the regular version which the regular version i think was numbered out of 199 or something like that i don't know i can't remember off the top of my head but this other version was numbered out of like 63 copies or 68 copies something like that and i got it way cheaper like $25, $30 versus $100. Uh, Same with um, another example I'll I'll throw out there. 
um, because he had very few rookie cards, so it kind of limited my choices. Christopher Stieg of the Blackhawks, he was included in late sets, whatever season it was. I can't remember the exact year, maybe 07, 08, somewhere around there. But he had cards in, like, Be a Player and in the Cup, and they're, like, numbered. They're, like, pretty low-numbered. So I probably paid more money for his rookie card at the time than for, like, a low-end Kane or Taves rookie card because Versteeg only had two rookie cards. But then I ended up getting the gold version of his cup rookie card for, like, next to nothing because nobody bid on it. Nobody wanted it. And I was just like, really? This one is, like, okay, it's got a gold background instead of a silver background, and it's the parallel version, but it was it was a lower number. Like, it, it, the serial number on it was lower, like, out of X amount of copies. And yet it's just funny that you can have the same card and, oh, this one's a parallel, and it's only numbered out of 5 or 10, but eh, people want the other one that's numbered out of 199 because that's the rookie card. And it was funny because you talked me out of the stupidity when I was showing you those David Savard rookie cards, and you're like, I don't know, dude. If I were you, I'd get that one for $30. I mean, it's... It's got a lower serial number, and it's got a nicer patch on it. And I was just like, okay, well, that makes sense. Well, and it's it's the same thing with what, you know, the the, the old adage, you buy the card, not the grade, right? Mm-hmm. You buy the card that looks the nicest. And in the case of those, it was like, okay, you have a single color patch. I think it was more than that, but it's like a single color swatch versus this one that looks like it came from you know, a stripe with like three or four splits in it and right. everything else. I'm like, why wouldn't you do that? I mean, it looks cooler. And mm-hmm. if you're going to put it on display and have it as part of your collection, I definitely go for that because it's, yeah. it's way cooler looking. But by definition, again, if we're following these rules in modern cards, that technically wasn't a rookie. The other one was. Right. So, you know, back to our original point. You know, today there are rules in place of what can and can't be a rookie card. That there wasn't always that. You know, the hobby kind of created the environment to where things are what they are or not what they what they are because that's just what the demand needs. And like you said about that Crosby card, people complained and all of a sudden it became a rookie card. And it was accepted as a rookie card. I wouldn't take my 0506 Crosby upper deck that came out of the Zamboni toy and call that a rookie card. It came okay. from that same year, but I wouldn't consider it to be a rookie card. Right. I, there are plenty of people that try to pass it off as it. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure a Zamboni toy with a card in it wasn't readily available everywhere across the country. No. I mean, I know they were distributed, but yeah, I think these were more or less regional based off of the team that was pictured and the player that was on. So it's just one of those interesting things that, that brings up the argument of, okay, what, what do you consider a rookie? What's not a rookie. And the one thing that, that we don't have to deal with anymore necessarily is what we had to deal with in most of the nineties and early early 2000s and that's rookie cards of players wearing international garb yes or possibly even minor league type jerseys on their major releases and you know that's one thing that having those rules in place kind of 
moved away from that. But even all the way up until the early 2000s with cards like the, you know, the Sedins and stuff like that, you know, I mean, the Sedins young guns still show them wearing their international jerseys. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't find that today. There's not a single young gun card that you will find today that has a player wearing Team Canada or Team USA or anything like that. So a couple of years ago, I had a conversation with somebody. Um, it was probably for an article I was writing. Can't remember which article in particular. It was somebody that used to work for the Players Association, and he used to work in their licensing. And he told me that it was around 2000, 2001, when the Players Association really kind of clamped down on its rules. So the two names that he threw out to me were Jason Spiza and Rick DiPietro. Now, I guess that one of the companies wanted to include a card of uh, Spezza or Spiza. I never know. How do you say his name? Is it Spiza or Spezza? I say Spezza. Spezza. All right. So yeah. anyways, so they wanted to include a card of him before he was drafted. And the Players Association was like, no, 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 no. Now we're going to make it where they have to play a game. Enough's enough. We're, you know, tired of these prospects. Well, you know, getting money and maybe getting more money than what the players were getting, the NHL players were getting. Uh, So that's part of it. But then they were like, well, but, you know, this goalie, Rick DiPietro, which was draft, he was drafted first overall. and He's the first goalie to be drafted first overall. Not the best goalie to be drafted first overall, but the first goalie to be drafted first overall. And uh, we really want to make a card of him. And so the concession was, was, all right, if a goalie is on the bench, then he can be on a card, right? He doesn't have to actually play minutes in the game because, you know, goaltending is that position where usually one goalie plays in the game and the other goalie sits and doesn't play in the game. So that was kind of like the concession, like, okay, you can make Rick DiPietro once he, you know, he was called up by the Islanders and he was on the bench and that was good. You know, he played, he got in 20 games later that year, but, um, but that when the release good. came out, he hadn't. Oh, I, I don't know. Actually, I don't know when he played. I know that year. That was the last year of the International Hockey League. That was 2000-2001. And the Islanders wanted DiPietro to play against older players. So they assigned him to the Chicago Wolves, the IHL. And I was going to a lot of Wolves games back then. I was in college, and it was cheap to go to Wolves games, and me and my friends and roommates would all go to Allstate Arena and, and watch the Chicago Wolves. And uh, yeah, I, I remember DiPietro playing for the Wolves. In fact, I remember one game was their All-Star game. The previous year's Turner Cup champion, which was the Wolves, versus the IHL All-Stars. And I remember Wendell Young, Rick DiPietro, and I forgot the other goalie that they had, but they actually played all three goalies, Wolves goalies, in that game, and they split a shutout against the IHL All-Stars, which was pretty awesome, if you think about it. It's funny that he had that stint with the Wolves, because uh, here's, here's like one of those six degrees of separation. The last team he played for was the Charlotte Checkers. Ah. And as we know, the Charlotte Checkers basically swapped places with, with the Wolves. The Wolves. Many years later. Yeah. 
but which is kind of interesting. Yeah, DiPietro was supposed to be like the second coming of every goalie that was ever good prior to him existing. Mm-hmm. You know, he was highly touted. I think he's the reason that uh, he might he might be one of the prime. Well, I can't say the reason because there's many reasons, but he's one of the big reasons I think Mike Milbury got fired as the oh. GM of the Islanders. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he traded away Roberto Luongo and Kevin Weeks. And because, because he, he had Rick Petro and Chara. Yeah. Well, the Chara trade was, I mean, that wasn't part of the DiPietro acquisition. But No, but I mean. But th- in order to get a shot at this pick. And, and that's the thing. He was good. He was really good. Highly touted prospect. When you're that good and you're coming up and there's all those expectations on you, if you don't perform, you're under a microscope again and, and it, it can backfire on you and put too much pressure on you that you can collapse under the pressure. And goalie specifically, because everybody always talks about that goalie mentality is way different than right. what normal skaters have. But injuries killed him. I mean, how many hip and knee injuries did he have throughout his career? I mean, there were a ton. And then when he finally like comes back from injury – and you think he's healthy and everything again, he gets one punched by Brent Johnson in a in a goalie fight. Yeah, so, and he went out of his way to get into that fight with Brent Johnson. Well, that was a full-on line brawl between the Islanders You know what, and the though? Honest to God, if a line brawl breaks out and both goalies stay in their creases, I'm cool with that. Goalies yeah, are a brotherhood, and Who I get doesn't it. want to see a goalie fight, though? I, mean, nah, you, I don't know, dude. They're if so rare. Off, they're so rare. If I'm getting off a, a hip injury or a knee injury or any kind of injury, I'm not going to test it, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, and I'll never be as tough as Ray Emery or Ron Hextall, so I, I don't really feel wouldn't feel the need to. I never to, thought Brent Johnson was that tough either, but. <laughs> I think after... Brent Johnson really wanted to fight. He did, didn't have a choice. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, he took care of business. <laughs> he one-punched him, and that was the end of that, so. Yeah. I mean, if it was Ray Emery, he wouldn't have stopped at one punch, right? Uh, <laughs> but oh, yeah. Brent Johnson's like, oh, cool, I knocked you down. Okay, cool, we're done. You know what I mean? Like, okay, we're we're done. We're we're good. You know, we don't we don't have to continue this fight. Reminds me of the uh, the insert set that in the game did for between the pipes the one year the or was it for enforcers the uh, net brawlers where the goal it was like the pictures of the goalie fight. Yes, that was a, that was a fun fun set. But uh, I digress. We've gotten off, got, gotten diverted from the rookie talk. So I think we agree on that these rules make sense the way they are now. Yes. Let's rewind a little bit. Let's go back to where we were talking, like the early 2000s. You brought up the, you know, the rule changes and all of that. Um, so a goalie just has to be dressed pretty much for a game. And ready to go whether he plays or not. A player has to actually play in a game. I don't remember what the first year that fully took effect was, card-wise. It had yeah. to be... It was right around there. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say it had to be either 03, 04. It was 001 Because that was Rick DiPietro's first year in sets. And that was right around the time the the PA made that rule that said, okay, the, a backup goalie can appear on cards. Okay. So now I'm going to throw out an interesting little interesting little story. There was a player, he didn't play too long in the NHL, Jared Allen, last name spelled A-U-L-I-N. 
So he had a Young Gun rookie card in 2001-2002. It was quickly pulled from the set, and it was replaced with a Young Gun flashbacks card of John LeClaire. Because Allin did not play in the NHL. So he was drafted by the Avalanche. He's pictured in an Avalanche jersey, but he was traded to the Kings. And at the bottom, it says LA Kings, but he's pictured in an Avs jersey. The card made it out into packs, but it is really hard to find. And uh, it was quickly replaced. Uh, They did uh, Young Guns flashbacks that year of other players as well. So his wasn't the only, or uh, LeClaire wasn't the only Young Gun flashback in that. But basically, there's two cards with that same number. So what are we feeling? How many actually made it into the wild? Well, at least one. One? Well, I mean, I have one, so I know there's at least one. Okay, well. And I saw a picture of it. We have one confirmed. Well, no, I mean, I I saw a picture of it on somebody else's website, so I know they have one. So I don't know. So, But that's an example of where Upper Deck put out this rookie card. And then there was like, oops, nope, wait, yeah, can't, we can't put them in the set. So it was, it, I don't know how many got out, honestly. But that's an example where the league or the Players Association wasn't like, eh, okay, you made a mistake. That's cool. No, they had to like actually replace it with a different card. Yeah. There have been other instances of that even after the rules changed in the mid 2000s. To prevent that from happening, it mm-hmm. still happened. Um, and one of those instances actually came up in our discussion um, on Twitter. Do tell. Over the 2010 uh, 2011 Don Russ had a rookie showcase threads set that came out. Mm-hmm. And if if anybody goes on goes on Twitter, they can find this they can find this tweet and there's like they go off in different directions and stuff. But off the boards, uh, OTB cards on Twitter um, actually pulled some of this information um, to kind of clarify this because we were kind of going back and forth about this set. Um, so Joe Colburn was featured in the set for Boston. And the cards had to be removed because he didn't play. There were also others in that set, too. So if you actually look at the checklist uh, for the Rookie Showcase inserts, uh, the set had an initial checklist of 20 cards. But the final checklist only has eight. Mm. Because all the other players that were on the list couldn't be featured, but Colburn got made and it shouldn't have. I don't know that there's any way of knowing how many actually got out there. You know, he had rookie cards later on in 2011, 2012, both upper deck and Panini products. But it's interesting that, you know, here you had this instance and it's like, okay, you guys already know what the rules are. And you decided to make this checklist, probably anticipating that, hey, we had the rookie showcase, and here's all these guys that are going to make their debuts this year, so let's all throw them in the set. And then when it's time to go to production and pack everything out, then you realize, oh, crap, 
over half of our rookie showcase checklist, these guys haven't made their debuts yet. It's so their debuts came the second half of the season, but you got to put the product out already. Mm-hmm. So technically they don't fall under the rules of the rules of the game when it comes to that kind of thing. So, and um, we also had talked about a couple other ones too, with like Brian Pitton. Mm-hmm. Oh with, yeah. My favorite. Yeah. With, he let us head. Yeah, he was a backup for, like, four games, I think, uh, in 2010. Uh, He had cards in 2010-11. Yeah, so... We have a lot more... I don't want to say it's cut and dry, but it kind of is. No, and I like that, actually. And, And the only time that it's not is when somebody seeks out an exception and tries to do something outside of the ordinary and has to get special permission. A la Alexei Lafreniere. Right. You know, because of the hype and because of everything that was going on. And I think also it boils down to the fact that we were in the middle of a pandemic and there's just, there's a lot of things, a lot of wheels moving in the background that made it a little different of a season that Upper Deck was given an exemption to be able to include him. Yeah, and there were actually, there were as, other players in I was that. just going to say, as well as a few other guys as well. So Right. I don't necessarily think that'll be the norm ever with exemptions, especially on an annual basis. I think this was kind of just a one-off thing. But... Uh, well, if the players were on the taxi squad or if they were on the Black Aces during the bubble bubble league in uh, the end of uh, the 2020 season, they were allowed to be, um, I said taxi squad, but that's actually from 2021, but from the end of 2019-2020, when you had the bubble league and teams had like six or eight extra players and you had guys who were on the team and they didn't play, like, but they were on and they were up training with the team and they were allowed to be in the 2021 sets. It made sense, though, because, I mean, if they're up with the NHL team, they're on an NHL contract and they're getting paid NHL money, even though they're not playing in a game. So, I mean, at that point, they are part of the Players Association. I mean, you could get called up for 10 games by a team not playing any games, but you're still making NHL money because you are with the team, right? Then you're splitting hairs like, well, don't make a card of him. Because he was up with the Red Wings for 20 games, but he didn't play. He just practiced with them. It's like, well, but he was part of the team, right? And he was getting NHL money, and he was on an, you know, a two-way contract. So I could kind of understand where they don't want to have a guy who gets drafted and gets put in a set right away, right? Or they didn't want to have these international players, you know, like your Team Canada subset or your world junior championship subset or whatever, right? Like a lot of the upper deck sets from the nineties had, I I get that. But I I think it was a good thing because basically it's like, look, if there's no rookie cards in upper deck series one, a lot less people are going to buy it. Right. So, you know, you know, they, they had to scrape a bit when you're putting in guys who were on the bubble league rosters, but didn't actually play in any games. And there are some, you know, I look at they go, wow, they have a young gun and they still haven't played in an, an, an NHL game. 
you go, hmm, okay, well, they just did what they had to do, right? And so then it became a little bit speculative instead of like, oh, yeah, that guy's already played. It wasn't like Series 2 when we're all trying to get Kirill Kaprizov because he was doing great. With Series 1, we were kind of looking and going, eh, okay, this guy, yeah, he hasn't actually played yet, but that's kind of cool that he's got a rookie card, I guess. Yeah, which, again, goes back to kind of what I brought up is who knows what we would have. We, we talk, sat here and talked about the Olympics earlier. Think of how many of those guys that showed up in some of these games and caught the attention of NHL scouts and made their way up the list of central scouting's report of guys that should be draft eligible and can potentially go fairly high in the draft. Mm-hmm. There were a few that potentially have the capability uh, of coming over and possibly becoming an NHL player. And I mean, if we didn't have these in place, you might see in the next release, you might see one of these guys on a card. Hey, look, here's a young gun and it's a player featured in a Slovakian Jersey. No, that's not going to happen. Well, of course it's not going to happen because that violates the rules. But I'm saying if we were where we were then, like I said, even the Sedin's young guns, they're wearing international because we have these rules in place. If we didn't have these rules in place, we would have had a Connor McDavid card back in 2011 when he was like 13 years old. And it would have said like future superstar, future franchise savior is what it would say at the top in big bubble letters, right? And and it'd be like a 12-year-old McDavid, right? I mean, that's just, I mean, it was getting a little ridiculous, but I liked it. Don't get me wrong. Actually, I wanted to ask you this question, and I want to throw this out here because this ties back into me talking about that 94-95 tops finest set that I so painstakingly peeled all the protective plastics off of. I know I'm a monster, ah, right? But uh, to put in pages, now here's something that I don't like about the set. Looking That's the back, monster part. What? Not peeling them, putting them in pages. Really? How, how dare you? I love putting my cards in pages. What can I say? Here's the deal. With this finest set from 94.95, it's 165 cards. Cards 112 through 165, so about 54 cards, if my math is correct. So almost a third of the set is World Junior Championship cards. And actually, looking back at this 25 years later, I'm just like, okay, Adam Deadmarsh, cool, but you know what? He had a card already, so this isn't even a rookie card. And I go, okay, Brian Burrard, a rookie card. That's kind of cool. Richard Park, not his rookie card because he had cards in the previous year. Uh, Keepersoft, okay, it's his rookie card. Keepersoft, he's in this. But I'm like looking at this, more of these guys didn't really play in the NHL. So now I have this set that looks really nice. But, you know, I mean, when a third of it is World Junior Championship players and of that third like maybe half of them, maybe a third of them, maybe 20 of them went on to like NHL start, like Mika Keepersoff, Brian McCabe, you know, Darcy Tucker, Ryan Smith, Ed Jovanovsky. And then you got like some like just solid NHL players like Dan Cloutier, for example, right? So, I mean, you got some 
NHLers in here. But like looking at the set now, I'm thinking, would I like it more if it was all NHL guys? I probably would at this point. Back then, I might have looked and said, oh, look at all these rookie cards, because that's what the leagues were or the card companies were doing back then. It was an arms race on who could include as many rookie cards as possible and who could include this guy before their competitors, right? So in a way, that one game rule kind of took away that arms race where, well, we're going to find this even more obscure player and put him in our set, right? So do you like the old way better or do you like the new way better? Because I think I like the new way better, even though I do miss the fact of like, ooh, these guys could be somebody someday. But then again... You look at all those like early 90s upper deck sets that had like 100 rookie cards and you go, yeah, but you know, 60 or 70 of them are like World Junior Championship. Okay, I'm exaggerating, but you get my point, right? Yeah, and it's funny you bring that up because of what I was thinking of when you started mentioning that was like um, 94, 95 Donruss, where they had, uh, in 94, they had the, World Championship sets for Canada and USA. And then in 95, 96, they had the Canada World Junior team included in there. So you had players like uh, Ryan Smith was in there. And mm-hmm. I, think, I think Jovo was in that set. Mm-hmm. Who else did they have? Eric Daze had a card in that. Yep. In that. So, I mean, you had a whole list. Brian McCabe was in there. That's another one. I mean, you had a whole slew of guys that had long and decent NHL careers, but then you also had guys that were, they were the jobber guys, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that didn't really make much of, of what they did afterward. I like having the structure to know what is and what isn't. There's a certain expectation and you know that expectation is going to be met. So having those rules in place, it kind of gives the NHL, the NHLPA, and the card manufacturers some control and some finite realm that they know that they can they have to stay in that bubble Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but just like i said i would have loved to see somebody come out with an olympic set i don't mind seeing cards like that if i had a card set of the entire kunlun red star team from the khl i think that'd be cool i mean are any of those guys any good some of them are yeah sure are any of them nhlers Maybe not. <laughs> a couple of them might have been, but maybe, right. maybe not now or in the future. But I think that'd be kind of cool. Again, it goes down to, you know, you're going to collect what you want to collect. And that that is what it is. And I don't have a problem with that. But yeah, maybe if they could reserve some of those things and maybe bring some of those things back as like an insert or an add-on into the regular set somehow. So... Because I don't think there are necessarily anything preventing them other than the licensing thing that we were talking about to be able to pull the players and the countries and all of that kind of thing. But as far as rookie cards, I would definitely not consider any of those to be rookie cards by any means. You're talking about these cards I was just talking about now? If I had them. Let's say they made a set like that. Oh, right. And there were some players in it. I would not consider any of them to be rookie cards, even if a guy went later went on and made his NHL debut and became a guy. I wouldn't consider them that. So how about uh, upper deck AHL? AHL is definitely not. 
because they're not in an NHL. They're not uniform. NHL. They're not NHL uniform. They're not right. NHL licensed. They're AHL licensed. Right, but 30 years ago, if Eric Lindros is in an NHL licensed set, but he's wearing an Oshawa Generals card, we kind of all just accepted that to be his rookie card. Right, and it's interesting because that you accept, but people don't really accept that uh, seventh inning sketch Martin Brodeur OHL card as his rookie. No, he's in his junior league uniform. Right. It's also kind of a mixed bag set, too. So it's not really an NHL release set, whereas the score set that Lindros came out of was an NHL licensed set. Right. And I think that that's one of the big reasons for that. Right. Yeah, I I agree. So uh, any last thoughts before we wrap this one up? Because we gotten a little, we gave people a little extra for their money, which is free because this is a free podcast, but we gave them extra. This is like the super double gulp of podcasts. The super double gulp of podcast. I like I that. Think that's a, I think that's redundant because you have the big gulp and then you have the double gulp, but there's no such thing as a super gulp, right? We can make it. We can make the super double gulp. The super double gulp. Which is basically two double gulps stacked on top of each other. <laughs> yeah, so I think I pretty much said any everything I wanted to say. I mean, of course, I could pull up all these, like, obscure, like, you know, tidbits about rookie cards. I know one person on Twitter was like, well, if it doesn't have a single line of stats on the back, then it's not their rookie card. And it's like, okay, well, 66-67 tops Bobby Orr. No stats on the back because that was his first year. So his rookie card came out during his rookie year. Sure. But everybody was going to say that's his rookie card, right? Right. And, and again, that goes back to a lot of the the way things were produced prior to what those rules generally were. Because even in the early 2000s, there's plenty of young guns in the O in the uh 2001, mm-hmm. 0102, 0203, mm-hmm. even 0304. There's plenty of young guns in there that you flip over to the back and look at it says no NHL experience. No NHL experience. Yeah. And I'll give you another for instance. So I, I think somebody else said, well, they got to be wearing their NHL uniform. Well, you know what famous rookie card shows a player not wearing his NHL uniform? And it's not Eric Lindros because we already talked about that. Um. Is it the Gretzky card? Because technically it wasn't NHL yet because it was an old picture. This is why you and I are friends. Because, <laughs> yes, it is It was. It is the, the 7980 Tops and Opeachy Wayne Gretzky card. That picture is from 78-79 when they were the WHA Edmonton Oilers, and that was the WHA jersey and uniform. So, yeah, I mean, he's not in an NHL uniform. You know, and it's funny because... That's Gretzky's rookie card. He's in a WHA uniform, and he didn't qualify as a rookie that year because he had played the previous year in the WHA. So they would not consider him a rookie. Even though he was 18, he was young enough to be a rookie, and it was his first year in the NHL. They didn't recognize the league. They didn't recognize the league stats, but they recognized the fact that these guys got paid. So therefore, they were already professionals. Everything about that merger agreement was about punishing the WHA teams. Sure. Really, it was. Because, I mean, they had caused the NHL 
so much strife. And really, this was the way to kind of stop the hemorrhaging because you had the NHL and the WHA, and they were trying to outspend each other on the players. And they were putting expansion teams in every city left and right. And as you could see, a lot of those expansion teams didn't work out the way they had hoped. Well, like it or hate it, the juggernaut won in the end. Yes. And uh, we're all better for it in a way, because I like I like the way the league is now pretty much. It's a topic for another time. But uh, yeah, I think I'm all rookie carded out. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting some young guns whenever that happens. Hopefully soon. All right. Well, good show, good conversation. Thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, please be sure to like and subscribe. Please be sure to spread the word about PuckJunk.com and about the Puck Junk Podcast. Please give Tim a follow on Twitter at TheRealDFG. Please give me a follow on Twitter at PuckJunk. And until next time, collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.